Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Spill Your Beans uh, film review. This is the final one of the uh, series and today we're talking about one of my favourite films, The Shining. I'm joined today by film student and big film fan Callum Reed. The first film on your application form was The Shining and I want to sort of ask, yeah. what does this film mean to you? Why did you want to talk about it? Let's start with that. Well, I mean, big question. I guess yeah. <laughs> I first watched the Shining for the first time with my cousins who live in London and they're like the only other nerds of my family so whenever mm. I go to like conventions and stuff like they're usually the first people I call on to come with me because mm. they're always up for it and so I was staying with them it was I think it was summer 2019 I think because I think we'd been to a, a comic con it was either I don't know if it was MCM in London in October or mm. something else. But anyway, so I was with them for like the weekend and we got back to theirs and we were going to watch a film and my cousin James, he was like, oh, what's like a like a big classic film that you, that you haven't seen that you've been wanting to see? And we'll watch that. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, The Shining, I've been meaning to watch that. Uh, and so we watched it and, you know, rest, as they say, is history. I don't think... Thing is, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but I, I can't really remember at the time thinking, oh, this is it, this is my favourite film. But it's mm. kind of just suddenly, like, without me kind of realising, become that, like... Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, it's just kind of gra gradually kind of taken over my, like, love of, of film and kind of yeah. become that sort of... that ref reference point for, like, my taste in film. Uh and there's just so much in it that's just like a great example of why I love films in general and why I love, mm. you know, ma filmmaking. Uh, and yeah, I think it it's one of those films, and I'm sure this will be a point that I come back to throughout this episode, that every time you watch it, you just discover new things. Um, and that's, any film mm. that does that is always going to probably be one of my favourites. Like, I think that's probably a, a common occurrence throughout all my favorite films if you look on my letterbox all the films that i've given like five stars to all the films that are labeled as my favorites on my profile they're probably like films that have got mm. countless like theory videos on youtube about them um so i don't know whether that makes me like a a bit of a like stereotype film student uh, <laughs> uh i'll leave for the listeners to decide but yeah i think yeah that's kind of where I'm at with The Shining. It's a, it's a great film. I, I The weird thing with me, because I sort of stumbled upon uh, The Simpsons sort of Treehouse of Horror <laughs> version of the, the Shining before I even watched The Shining. So I watched The Simpsons when I was a kid, so that sort of came up and I thought, this is really interesting and weird. And I never actually knew it was a film. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's <laughs> um, similar to me, actually, because if you want to go even further back than when I watched it for the first time, I suppose my first kind of, not direct, but my closest kind of interaction with the world of The Shining that wasn't actually the film itself was the bit in Ready Player One, uh, which I probably yeah. saw like yeah. maybe a year or so before that. Um, oh, yeah, of And course. so like, look, because there's like a scene, I, I, I haven't seen that film since I saw it in cinemas, but there's a mm. scene where they have to get some, I don't know, Thing. Get like a, yeah, it's like a key yeah, or like something, a key isn't or it? Something. And, yeah, I, and they go, yeah. they go through the overlook, 
um and you know recreate some of the scenes and that was i guess you could say that was my first kind of exposure i mean obviously obviously i knew about the film before i knew like some of the iconic scenes um yeah but yeah that was kind of like my first direct involvement with it and looking back now that's just like kind of it's kind of embarrassing to like admit that that was my first like interaction with it when it's become my favorite film since yeah i think the shining's so ingrained in pop culture though that you're always gonna have that i think for me like again it's a weird thing because i I watched the simpsons one first and i remember watching the shining quite a few years ago but i know at the time i sort of enjoyed it but i never really it wasn't like an instant favorite for me and i think it was when i saw ready player one and that sort of weird sort of giddiness that i felt in cinema when i heard the music and saw the visuals i was like I need to watch The Shining again because I yeah. feel like I might really enjoy it a lot more now. And I did. And then it was my favourite film for a long time. I think up until the end of last year where it just got overlapped by The Lighthouse. And then but, you betrayed yeah. it. <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like, you know, for people our age, I mean, we're you're slightly older than me, but we're kind of, you mm. know, same yeah, yeah. generation at least. For people that didn't, you know, directly grow up with, the, like, having The Shining come out in cinemas... I feel like it's kind of inevitable that your first experience with it is probably mm. not going to be the film itself unless you actually like seek it out and watch it. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, like you say, it's so ingrained in pop culture and there's been so many like references to it in other things oh, yeah. that probably like some of them you might not even notice. Um, yeah. So like I feel like... About the twins and stuff, like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. everywhere and like yeah. here's Johnny's so... reference so much. And just like the carpet and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I feel like for, for for younger people, it's kind of like even if you've not seen it, you've probably been exposed to it at some point. And I feel like it's, you know, people that grew up like when the film came out might kind of look down their noses at us thinking, oh, your first like um, interaction with The Shining was in Ready Player One. Like what? Mm. Um, but, you know, I feel like it's kind of inevitable because it's so ingrained in all other yeah. film and pop culture. Yeah, I, it, it's it's true. I think it's, it is inevitable for our generation, especially with that sort of stuff. But I think that's that's part of it. I think because it's so ingrained, that's a good thing as well because there might be people who may never have watched The Shining who are getting introduced to it for the first time. And like generally, it's it, once you do watch it, I think it's great. I, I love not watching a film for years and then eventually watching yeah. it and then it's like an instant classic and like one of your favorites yeah. i had again like with the sort of the lighthouse when i watched that last year and sort of i watched it about a year or so after it had come out and i just not really i mean I, I wanted to see it anyway but i just never really got around to it and then i watched it, it was so satisfying because like oh this is as good as i was expecting it to yeah, be yeah. um so i can feel a lot of people will get that with the shining but generally the shining the film itself i mean i think it's quite obvious basically from the way we've been speaking about it we both love this film yeah it's it is a classic it's a it's a brilliant one there's a lot to sort of mention in regards to it especially with the process of it being made and all that sort of thing um with it being a stanley kubrick directed film but also a stephen king adaptation which mm-hmm. we'll get onto sort of in the second part but in terms of the film itself what do you think i mean you know if there's just so much to talk about like mm. also just kind of again in in regards to like it being such a big part of like pop culture and stuff and being referenced a lot i feel like when i went into it watching it for the first time i kind of thought it wasn't gonna hit as hard for me because mm. i knew all the iconic scenes and like they've been parodied yeah, yeah. to death and stuff but actually like 
that's not all the film is like there's so much more to it than just the here's johnny scene and the mm. and the twins scene like i feel like when you've seen them like referenced and stuff so many times you kind of have this like image in your head that that's all the film is um another another film i kind of felt like that about was um psycho i watched that recently it's a bit mm. off topic but i watched that like in december i think for the first time and i thought obviously you know the famous shower scene mm. i thought that was like the climax of the film and then it happens like ah. 20 minutes in sorry i don't know if you've seen the psycho i i, I, mean, I, I not, have not i haven't but I mean, but, yeah, everyone. Yeah, so I thought that was like yours. the climax of the film, but then it happens like twenty minutes in, and that's kind mm. of when the plot starts. Yeah. Like that's what kicks things off, and so I was like, oh, okay, I have yeah. no idea where we're going from here, um, and yeah. that's, I think that's kind of what happened with The Shining, as well in a sense. I mean, I know like the here's Johnny scene does come sort of towards the end, but like mm. there was there was so much that I that I didn't know going into it, even though it's so iconic um so yeah i mean it's just i think what i love most about the shining and i think what kind of sums up all my praise of it is just how well it's able to kind of build this sense of like impending dread Mm. because i mean i don't think it's it is a horror film but i think it's more of a a sort of psychological thriller really because what i quite like about it is it never kind of tries to pretend that you don't know what's gonna happen like literally within the Mm. first like 10 minutes you are you may as well have you may as well be told like okay this is what's gonna happen Mm. this character is going to run rampant around the hotel and try and kill his family with an axe yeah because that's like the manager says that to to jack um Mm. about the previous caretaker so you know you basically know where the film's going from you know five ten minutes in but even though you know that it's kind of a it's not about what happens at the end it's about how do we get there like what Mm. leads to that what what you know because you know at the beginning they seem like a fairly normal family so you're like god how is this going to happen like what 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 has to happen to to lead to this like mm. um tragic you know ending yeah uh, and so i think that's what it does so well that kind of gradual like build-up oh yeah no absolutely i think the highlights of this film for me like is i mean the characters are obviously brilliant the performances are like mm-hmm. stunning in this obviously jack nicholson uh as jack torrance i mean yes. he's incredible like everyone knows that he's uh-huh. he is basically the star of this film and for many reasons the amount of sort of He's almost like various different characters in this film, you know, in itself. Like, the way he starts yeah. off. I mean, yeah, he's a bit of an arsehole at the beginning, and there's not too much of a huge transition. But yeah. by the end, this sort of psychotic kind of look that he gives out. Even when he's, like... Obviously, when when, when Wendy finds the um, the papers and sees all the uh, transcribings, you know, hey. um, all work and no play, all that sort of thing. Yeah, that yeah. scene that follows there, like there's even a jump between that sort of level of psychotic and the mm-hmm. level of psychotic when he's swinging around the axe in about 10 minutes yeah, yeah. like time after that. Um, it's so well done. And I think Shelley Duvall doesn't really get enough credit. I think she was like nominated for like a Razzie or something. Yeah. I, I, which is I, insane to me. I there know, was like... multiple Razzie nominations. For that <laughs> she, was in, she was one of them. Also, I feel like we should say 
I don't know when this will go out, but on the day we're recording this, it's actually Shelley Duvall's birthday I've just seen. Is Instagram. it actually? Yeah. I never... So I... happy birthday to her. Yeah, happy birthday yeah. to Shelley Duvall for when we're recording this. Yes. That's brilliant. I, um, <laughs> I didn't even click that. I, I just saw like a post on Instagram about it. Um, <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, as we're talking about her getting nominated for a Razzie, mm. I feel like we should say she did not deserve that Razzie. No, she did uh, not deserve the Razzie. I don't think um, any of the Razzie's Especially with what she went deserved. through during that film, which I feel like we'll get oh. onto later. Yeah. We'll I mean... Behind the scenes... Aspect. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult one. Uh, we'll definitely, oh yeah, we'll definitely get onto that. But I think it was, yeah, it was nominated for two Razzies: uh, worst actress for Shelley Duvall and God. worst director for Stanley Kubrick, which Jeez. to me is absolutely insane. I can't believe for a second that that's even a. Thing. I mean, because like Stanley Kubrick, it's not like The Shining was the the film that made him. He had like a lot of successful yeah. films before then. Yeah, and so to. To go from that to like a Razzie nominated film, but must have been quite a, yeah, you know, weight clashed type thing. But would have been quite a hit. But I still don't understand it. I mean, no. Shelley Duvall, I think you can play around with. I mean, I think she's brilliant in this. I think she does it perfectly. And obviously, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff, which again we'll get into. Um, but I can see why some people might go, "Oh, it's just a bad performance." I think, but I, she's I think the only with... person that could make that performance work. Exactly. Yeah, because you'd have to. I think she there's so many layers to it I, I love the the subtleties of like some of the scenes where like you know she's very um she, she very much listens to basically everything that Jack says up until yeah, yeah. it involves Danny in which case she puts her foot down and I mm. quite like those little the nuances in, in her performances are actually so overlooked because obviously you, you have people like I mean Jack Nicholson's incredible in this so that mm-hmm. the, always, the focus always goes to him and, and rightfully so a lot of the time but Shelley Duvall also does give a brilliant performance in this film I think as well um, but for the for the Razzie thing as well I can't imagine looking at this film and thinking it's badly directed it's brilliantly yeah. directed I think it's so well directed I'm like what the yeah. f- <laughs> that's insane it's, it's like I feel like this is a film because when I I mean when I was younger I kind of I was slightly I mean, slightly naive in saying this, but I was slightly kind of confused as to why it's always directors that get, like, most of the credit for films because, like, they're mm. not always the ones that actually write it. And I feel yeah, like yeah. the story is kind of the thing you focus on when you're watching a film, mm. at least on a surface level. And so you'd think, like, the screenwriters would get most of the credit. Yeah. But I think a film like The Shining kind of made me realise how much a director really, even if they haven't written the film, how much they influence the film because the shining is just a film that just shows how how much good directing can add to a story because mm. there's so much that is told not just through the script but mm. through everything else which is what probably stanley kubrick had a say on i mean i know he wrote the script as well but yeah with i think with someone else i can't remember a name um i think it's a woman um, uh, Diane Johnson. Diane something. Diane Johnson. Yeah, screenplay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, I think it. I think that was one of the main things I took away the first time I watched The Shining was how how much a director can kind of add to a film in ways that aren't just to do with yeah. the script. Um, on on the topic of the like directing of the film, um. There's a, and this is a really confused, because I get confused with this as well. There's a director's cut of this film, 
but it's only yes. on like some releases. So I watched, I I I got the Steel Book quite a while back. Uh, the 4K yeah, I one. got I the, watched the it four K set. Recently. Um, and I only just watched that one for the first time in four K the other day. Oh, that's and interesting because I, I mean, I've seen The Shining, I think five times now, mm. and only, only like on my fourth watch did I watch the theatrical cut. Up until then, I'd I'd watched the director's yeah. cut. So is the I'm trying to work out because the director's cut is because I is it not the other way around though? Because is, is the director's cut the one that's longer or is that the theatrical? Because I no, heard the it director. Because I um, heard it was like he didn't actually like some things and was like, actually, I want it to be released like this with less in it. Well, there's so the director's cut is the one that's longer. So it's like two mm. hours twenty minutes, like mm. verging on two and a half hours. And then the theat the like theatrical cut or whatever it's called is like just over two hours. Mm. Um and so yeah, so my first like viewing of the shining was the director's cut. And mm. like the first, the next few times after that was the director's cut. Um and then it was on T V like a couple of months ago. Um and I watched it. I think it was actually it was on Jack Nicholson's birthday. And I was like, I can't not watch The Shining on Jack Nicholson's mm -hmm. birthday. And it yeah. was the theatrical cut. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I'll like notice any of the scenes that are missing. And there was only one that like I thought of that like yeah. didn't appear. And it's the one I don't know if you'll remember it because you obviously got more experience with the theatrical one. But um, it's towards the beginning when the nurse like visits Danny. Yeah, um, that's the only one I like noticed was missing straight away and then i watched it again in college the other week and again that was the theatrical one and there was yeah i think there was another oh yeah that's right it was the it's when halloran is going up to the hotel and he gets like a, yeah. a he gets, snow he, cat or something but he calls up one guy. of his mates and yeah yeah, 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 yeah. At the airport uh like he goes, yeah so he goes from the airport he goes to see his mate and then drives up but like in mm. the theatrical cut it just cuts from him at the airport to him driving up but there's there's um, loads of things there's loads of things like that I think because again I I watched the theatrical cut more because that I think that was what was on the Blu-ray originally mm -hmm. and then I only got the 4K but the first time I've watched it in about a year and a half and I was fascinated because I I have seen the this extended cut before but it was interesting because I was so used to the theatrical cut that it actually took me off guard so much I was sort of like hang on I don't recognise the scene there's a scene yeah, where yeah. Wendy and Danny are sitting watching TV in yeah. the Colorado lounge and Danny says he's going to go to his room and get his um, fire truck and when oh like, yeah that's another scene I'm, I'm, oh yeah. no don't he's asleep or whatever and then it cuts to the other scene I'm like oh that's right after oh shit right yeah. okay he's getting yeah, his fire no, truck and I yeah when I watched it in makes... college the other week I was like hang on that cut feels really jarring Ooh. and then I remembered the scene that's supposed to come beforehand when he like but asked it's... his mum can he go and get his like toy but um, yeah it's, it's really weird because I, I just sort of thought Again, I'd forgotten about that, and it, it sort of made so much more sense. And I was like, I, yeah. I actually really like the little addition. I like the fact that I don't know why, but like that scene is already really creepy, where Danny goes into the room and and Jack's on the bed, and he like talks to him and has that really weird, creepy kind of yeah. conversation with him. It makes it even weirder when Wendy's like, "Oh no, your your dad's asleep. Like he's like fast asleep. Yeah. He's not out." you don't want to wake him up and like when danny goes up there he's just he's sitting on the end of the bed that's yeah. so but i don't know that just adds something for me and i but thought that also, was really interesting but also just on the other hand i can kind of see why it might have been cut out because mm. it's like ha not having the context of why he's going into the room to get mm. his like fire engine or whatever it is 
like it kind of makes it more creepy it's almost like like bearing in mind like danny's like powers it's mm. almost like he knows that like there's something going on in that room with his dad like he's not right and he has to go and like check on him but he's just using the excuse of like going to get yeah. his toy um yeah it's, it's kind of i think not having that scene beforehand kind of it's a for someone that's like more familiar with the director's cut it is jarring but it's kind of like jarring in like an effective way if you know what i mean yeah um I, I, but yeah it's I, I it's it's odd and i don't know i mean they're the two kind of cuts but then there's also the matter of the ending that was cut very very early on when it was released in cinemas and i think me and you were having a conversation on twitter about this a few weeks ago and you didn't know about it um the ending uh in the hospital do you, mm. you remember this i um, this was something yeah this was like a, a thing i've just read up about it now like whilst, whilst yeah, you're talking yeah, yeah. there to sort of so it was it was something that was in the film and then kubrick like, about a week after the premiere like cut it out yeah so he literally like went around all cinemas and like because obviously it was on like a film where yeah. he literally like cut it out um and because it was so late on, the actors that are in those scenes are still in the credits. Mm. So if you watch, like, I think even even if you watch, like, the like theatrical short version of the film, there's, like, a policeman, a doctor or something, or a nurse mm. that are, like, credited, even though they're not in the film. And, like, that, that scene doesn't exist, at least yeah. in, in the public. There's, like, there's photos of, like, the film reels, um a few like script not screenshots but you know what i mean um whatever the whatever the film equivalent is uh but it's never been like publicly released if it still exists it's, it's like, mad. It's if, like it does, do- if it doesn't exist that is actually insane i, I can't it's like a doctor like, who missing episode yeah it is it's, it's it's a bit like that but it's strange that it's just like this one scene especially after the film's already finished and done yeah. and dusted to go i think actually let's get rid of that i mean i heard like kubrick was kind of one of those people that like if he didn't want it to be in the film, he didn't want anyone to see it. Like, yeah. he yeah. only wanted people people to see the the version of the film that he was happy with. Mm. Like, even if, like, it was, like, a scene out of context, like, he didn't want it to be known or whatever. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I do kind of wish, just for kind of posterity's sake, that that scene still existed. Um, I think you can you can find the script of it online. Because basically, mm. I think it ends with, uh, it like they they the policeman goes in and is like, is like, oh, we found no evidence of like the stuff you told us in the hotel, and then he hmm. like goes over to Danny and like chucks him a tennis ball, and it's the same one that like rolled across the carpet to him yeah. in the hotel. So See, that's like, weird. Oh, was he, I, was I can he in kind on of, it? Like, I can kind of understand why like they would cut that because that is yeah. very. But, but also then i don't so i don't know whether that would have been like after they drive off and then that scene and then the shot of like the photo yeah i presume the, they, the i presume they still i presume they still end the scene end the film on that on that shot that seems to yeah. be that, that 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 i can't see that the film ending any any other way i feel like it must have been before that um, i mean the, the 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 very final shot of the like the photo in the frame I feel like if The Shining was made today, they'd do that as like an end credits scene. Like it feels yeah, like yeah, it feels yeah. like it should come like after the credits, especially if you were going to have that like original ending. I yeah, feel like it would yeah. work well 
had that and then the credits and then that final shot no definitely um, i think it's, it's it's an interesting one i don't it's it's a really interesting idea i never even knew about this again until that sort of twitter interaction and i'm sort of like i'm I, in a way again like reading up on it i'm glad they did cut it out because i feel like there's so many different elements there that that adds in like you sort yeah. of would because like then it's especially for the, the the story generally and i'm a big again we'll talk about the stephen king stuff like i'm a big stephen king fan anyway um and i quite like where they went with dr sleep but it's <laughs> more of a thing of like um it just seems to add too much confusion there it's like by yeah. someone, but if you show a shot of jack frozen in the ice and you know that like um dick halloran got like hit with that axe like that happened you saw that happen he's dead on the floor wendy saw mm-hmm. that it's like you're telling me that someone would go to the hotel and then none of that would be there and yeah. I, I kind I f- of i kind of feel like oh yeah yeah, yeah i kind of understand that but like yeah i don't know if, because... if like if the murders with um um grady happened and they remember that and that's a thing that they remember why would suddenly this one just ooh, yeah it's mysteriously disappeared yeah just kind you of know that's a, a good much. point and also like one of the things that i love about the film that that ending would kind of contradict mm. is the fact that pretty much everything in the shining can either be like explained away by either the supernatural if that's the route you want to go mm. um which seems like the route stephen king preferred but oh, we'll yeah. get on to that or it can just be explained by they all just went mad yeah and it was all in their head i and i, so, I and yeah. so jack just just went mad and so having that ending would kind of steer you more towards the direction of the supernatural um mm. and so i think like kubrick probably wanted it to be slightly more balanced and you decide one way or or the other as to like mm. what was behind it or whether it was just their insanity or whether it was actual supernatural forces and that's the very, only that's very kubrick the, as well yeah because the only bit in the film that i can think of that doesn't really have a real life like explanation Mm. is the bit where he gets out of the freezer yeah like someone lets him out um mm. and that's the only bit that like oh that was like mm. you know the ghost of grady or whatever um although i did hear in i think it was the room 237 documentary that possibly danny let him out um but I don't know why. Yeah, I would. still don't really know. I mean, the only sort of explanation I can really think of is that the scene following Jack getting out of the freezer is Danny in that sort of... Is it the Red um, Room? Yeah, it's the Red Room. Where he's sort yeah. of just he's in that sort of lucid state where he's just sort of yeah. in a trance. So yeah. maybe something with the... So maybe he let him out whilst he was in that trance. But then again, depending on depending on what like how you view the film, it's, it's a difficult one. I love the way Kubrick... Um, does it? I actually, I think, I think we'll save this because I've got a lot to say about this when yes. we talk about the Stephen King stuff because there's a lot of differences between the book and the film, especially now and I think the sequel as well. It's because, kind of like, even though, yeah. even though this is both like one of our favourite films, I think this is where our opinions will yeah. start to like differ. Um, yeah. In terms of the Stephen <clears throat> King stuff yeah. and Doctor Sleep and Definitely. all that. So Definitely. yeah. But before we do that, um, best bits of the film. I mean, there's got to be some really notable scenes that we should talk about. I mean, there's so so many. Um, so um, I thought I'd throw that out there. What kind of favourite scenes do you have in this? I don't know. I mean, they're like, you know, it's easy for it to go for mm. like the iconic ones. Yeah. But I think, I think when you kind of 
watch the whole film and you it, it's like and you're as much of a fan of it as we are i think you start to kind of appreciate the sort of smaller moments that are mm. just those like you know like one line one liners that kind of like foreshadow what's mm. to come that you might not have picked up on the first time and then you're like yeah. oh yeah um like i'm trying to think of some off the top of my head um mm. but yeah i think you know obviously the the you know here's johnny the blood in the elevator yeah um you know the the maze all all those kind of like set pieces mm. um are all iconic and you're always kind of like waiting for them as you're watching um but i don't know it's, i don't know if i've got it's, like it's, a favorite scene yeah i think it's one of those films that basically every scene is almost as good as the previous yeah. really um because it's just that sort of slow, like build it's the up. Build, yeah, I love the 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 formatting and the story structure as well, with the sort of the timings getting close in together. Uh, yeah, together yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Sort of the title cards. I think that's brilliant, and I think that's again a huge part of the film that I really like. And I don't know, I, it just the film has so much going for it, um, and the way it's structured and the way it's put together, um, mm. it's just so unique and special, especially in terms of how like time passes and how it shows that, yeah, and how yeah. it shows the slow progression of. Uh, Jack's almost insanity. Um, yeah, a huge thing. Also, I love... I... Go on. Oh, sorry, uh, I really love. Um, on a more sort of technical note, I think The Shining is a really great example of really good sound design. Mm. I mean, obviously mm. you've got the music, which is like yeah, I was literally about it. to jump onto that. So yeah, that's iconic in it of itself. But I think there's some like uh, just more kind of low key sound design elements mm. that just really sort of like. N- like on their own you wouldn't really think much of but just in the context of the film are really sort of unnerving like the the shot of danny like riding around the hotel yeah. on his little like bike um and like i don't know whether they had like a microphone like right under his bike because mm. like the sounds of like him going across the carpet and then the really harsh yeah. sound of him on the wooden yeah. floor uh and just like the the like contrast between that is just mm. really sort of like unnerving um but also like in regards to the music there's a lot of points where like the music will kind of like reach like a crescendo mm. but then nothing will happen like yeah. on screen i i love that and then there's points where nothing's particularly happening in the music but there's something like really like yeah. like shocking on screen um it's using that to its advantage really well and the way yeah. the shining incorporates um classical music as well like yeah because old, i I, like, I didn't know this until yeah yeah i didn't know this until recently the 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 main like theme that everyone knows is like the mm. music from the shining yeah isn't actually like an original piece like it's yeah it's i, I watched a youtube video on it a while it's back it's, it's, I think yeah it's, it's like some sort of like funeral march like a yeah like church mm. uh music thing and it's obviously you know it was used like by churches and stuff um back in the day but like in terms of films it's been used in low like that sort of Mm. like melody or chord progression or whatever it is Mm. i'm not very good with music but that has been used in like loads of films oh yeah um you know just that yeah um star wars the lion king was loads of famous examples but i I think it's it's a huge testament to the film as well because obviously that's like that's that's reworked to be the main theme and that's become iconic yeah. in itself but i love how the, the film for the majority of it uses sort of um 
soundscapes and older, more obscure classical um, motifs and stuff um, mm. for most of its soundtrack. Like you go through like the Shining soundtrack, and it's all just stuff from like the 1800s or 1700s yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. like it's some really just old but but it works so well um and it's been used in so many things again there's a, a notable one as a sort of fellow doctor who fan um that a lot of the shinings music is also in the web of fear is it yeah there's a there's a i mean there's a scene from the no i haven't seen it all the way through but there's some, someone put a clip on twitter and it was it's great because the second doctor's talking about the yeti and he's with the brigadier and i'm like that's the music from the shining that's like I can hear that. I can. I can wow. I like. I recognize that straight away. I'll send oh, it to you sick. after. It's brilliant. But yeah, um, yeah. again, just that sort of using music that's already there and making it its own. Everyone associates it with The Shining, and that's how it was used in the film. How the music complements the visuals yeah, to make yeah. the music in the long run iconic to this specific yeah. film. And I think it's quite a testament to the film, like particularly with Diaz Eerie. Mm. Um, like probably when when the film came out that music like people were like oh we've heard this like loads before like this is like you know famous classical music or whatever but then since then it's become more synonymous with the shining mm. so like yeah. even though all these other films have used it like it's the shining that kind of gets the credit of like that's what it's that's what that piece of music is like um mm. associated with so i think you know You've you've kind of got to like use it pretty effectively to compete with so many other films that have used it. Yeah, definitely. Um, to sort of smoothly transition from that into our first little segment that we have on here, which is called ah, yes. um, the record spinner. So we Speaking ask music. Uh, we ask guests to come on and sort of mention a uh, film soundtrack or individual track from a film that they absolutely adore and would put above any other. It's a bit like Desert Island Discs, but yeah, yeah. without trying to sound derivative about it so um do you have any sort of ideas you can mention some honorable mentions if you want or you can just yeah, jump right okay. into the right so i think we've established like the shining is like pretty up there um as for other ones this is gonna make me sound like such a stereotype but mm. uh hans zimmer is uh, a big one mm. all his like nolan stuff i think my favorite i mean i feel like probably more, most people would say like inception and time from inception mm -hmm. but i think my favorite would be uh cornfield chase from interstellar mm. uh mm. i just love that music and i think particularly because last year obviously cinemas cinemas weren't open much um but during the summer um in the lead up to nolan's new film tenet coming out mm. which uh we won't get too into the, uh, uh, yeah. it was a quite a divisive film mm. uh anyway but in the lead up to that film coming out um i don't know if you were aware but they like re-released quite a few of his old films um into cinemas again mm. a lot of them in like imax um and i hadn't seen most of them before i think i'd seen i'd seen the dark knight possibly not all of it but i'd seen some of it at some point mm on tv and i'd seen inception but i'd not been paying enough attention to it mm. to it um so i'd kind of half seen inception and so yeah in the lead up to tenet me and my dad went and saw the dark knight interstellar and inception uh and kind of like within like a week uh, mm. all in imax and it was like well not my first time but like my main kind of 
first time seeing them yeah definitely for interstellar um and especially with you know the fact that i'd like hardly been to the cinema in months like before that just seeing them on the big screen uh was just so incredible and i think probably up there with one of my like favorite cinema experiences Mm. um just not only because of the films themselves but also just the context surrounding it um and yeah a part of that was uh hearing Hans Zimmer's score uh through all the speakers um was just incredible and I think Mm. my uh all-time favorite out of them has to be Interstellar um also like with with Interstellar there's quite a few well one track in particular so have you seen Interstellar yeah yeah I've seen all I've seen all of Nolan's films and Interstellar's. Okay, so there, yeah. yeah, so uh, what I love particularly about the music in Interstellar, apart from the fact that it's just yeah, you know, so like beautiful and mm. you know complements the film so well, is um, there's a scene where they're on a planet that um, I think you probably know where I'm yes, going with this. Yes. Uh, where there's a scene where they're on a planet where time moves faster than it does on Earth, mm. and so I don't know. I'm paraphrasing here, but every minute they spend on this planet is seven years on Earth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the the music, the there's like this sort of ticking sound within the music, and each tick in the music signifies like seven years of time passing on Earth. And mm. so, like, it's just like so, like, like tension building and you kind of even if you don't know like that's what the ticking sound is symbolizing in the music it's still kind of Mm. like and like you kind of get this sense that obviously because you know the stakes of the film like that there's just this something about it that's like so kind of like edge of your seat um and i think you know that's something that can't be said for like all music because mm. you know it's one it's one thing music sounding nice and you know you have a few tracks that you play on repeat on your spotify or whatever but then mm. that's kind of like going deeper into it and really kind of making it kind of weave with the plot of the film really well mm. which i just think is really incredible um but honorable honorable mentions um i don't know if uh we're allowed to include like tv soundtracks go for it um, go for it but i mean partly just so i've got an excuse to plug this show but the music <laughs> for a show called utopia which was yeah. a show that was on channel four back in 2013 ran for two series um should have ran for a lot longer in my opinion <laughs> but that's a tangent that we won't get into um <laughs> but anyway the music for that is done by a guy called Cristobal tapia devere Um, Mm. and it is just so unique and incredible and kind of incorporates uh like just sort of random like noises like everyday kind of noises like birds tweeting and stuff but like completely distorts them and makes them sound Mm. really weird and so it's it kind of i feel like it would be more appropriate to call it like a soundscape rather than music but like i will listen to it like if I'm working or whatever, I'll have it on and it's just like the most mm. kind of weirdly like relaxing thing. 
Um, yeah. I mean, on if you listen to the soundtrack, like on on Spotify, they actually like include like bits of like dialogue from the show within some of the tracks, but like are really like distorted and weird. And so mm. it's kind of nice when you're listening because like you instantly get a reminder of like what scene that tracks from. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, the show Utopia is kind of it just uh, briefly. It's about uh, these uh, group of people that are all fans of this this comic book and uh they discover that there's this sequel that's never been published that supposedly like predicts a load of like um like natural disasters and like pandemics and stuff Mm. um and so you know there's this massive conspiracy and then there's this like government organization like hunting them down because they don't want anyone to have it um so it's a very sort of like comic book style Mm. plot um and that's kind of uh kind of emphasized through all the kind of technical elements like the the color palette and the the camera and also the music mm. um but it's not kind of hollywood type comic book film music mm. like you'd normally see it's not like big epic orchestral yeah score. yeah yeah it's kind of a bit more like weird um and kind of it's like on the surface it looks very like um uh what's the word like a very exaggerated version of our reality but Mm. then like the actual plot is very like you know there's a lot of like quite strong violence and stuff so it's kind of like you you get this like image of this like um very exaggerated world but then you're like brought straight back down to earth with this very like Mm. visceral um like violence and and kind of like very real world issues and and stuff and I think that kind of carries over to the music with the fact that it like incorporates like real world sound effects and stuff. Hmm. Um, so anyway, that's my tangent over just a uh, opportunity to plug that show because <laughs> uh, not enough people have seen it. Um, there's also the same uh, composer uh, did a show uh, called The Third Day, which Dennis Kelly, who wrote Utopia, actually wrote as well. Um, and that's really good as well, the score for that kind of you know similar kind of elements you can tell it's the same composer mm. but obviously very different story it's quite sort of like midsummery. Mm. um uh it, it's about it's like split into two halves cut all this out if you want uh, <laughs> it's, no i'm it's interested like, it's it's like split into two halves and so the first three episodes are about this guy who finds himself on this island um and a load of weird shit mm. starts going down and then the second half is like this other woman that finds herself on this island. Um, but then in the middle, they had this, um, like, it was originally intended to be an actual festival on the island mm. that people could go to. And they'd have actors like acting out kind of the oh world God. of the show around you. But obviously because of COVID, they couldn't do that. Mm. And so what they did was a 12 hour continuous live stream, one shot or look, yeah. One one take what? for twelve hours, just going around the island, seeing all like a day in the life of the island, um, and it kind of bridges the gap between the two halves of the series. It's so mental. Uh, That's insane. It's it was last year a show called The Third Day. It was on Sky, so mm. I guess it might be the reason why not many people were talking about it. But it was so mm. good. Um, it's, it's interesting. I lo- this is what I love about like when tv shows and, and films and stuff get like 
a bit creative with their like promotion yeah. tactics and stuff as well and doing yeah, stuff like yeah. that um but yeah some great mentions there um yes. we're gonna do our second segment in just a bit but first we're gonna go on um a little break and when we come back, we'll be doing uh, the next segment, which is the 64K Ultra Mega HD range, followed by talking Ooh. about the uh, Stephen King and the book and all that sort of stuff about The Shining, as well as some mad theories and potentially a little bit of dog to sleep as well. I'm sure that'll be an interesting conversation. See you all in a minute. Welcome back to the second half of our review of The Shining on Spill Your Beans. Before we get into more discussion about that brilliant film, we're going to be doing our second segment here with Callum. Um, this is the 64K Ultra Mega High Definition range. It's the most exclusive range of uh, physical film release that you can get. It's not the Criterion Collection, it's not a steelbook, it's not 4K, okay. it's the, the most exclusive kind. And you get the lovely honour today of picking a singular film that you can put in this collection. What do you pick? Oh, God. Um, well, I mean, I feel like the obvious answer is The Shining because I've come on here and talked <laughs> about The Shining and it's my favourite film. I mean, I don't know if the films that the other guests have talked about have been their favourite films. Mm. Uh, but so, like, The Shining is a is a film that I've got in my collection in 4K in a special edition box mm. set with a poster and and whatever um even though i don't have a 4k tv but you know future <laughs> future proofing for when i eventually yeah. get one as much as i try and convince my parents um but oh i'm trying to think because i recently this is another tangent i mm. recently sold my dvd collection and started again collecting blu-rays mm. um which i've kind of been wanting to do for a while because i've like collected dvds since i was mm. really young and kind of like and up until like a few years ago kind of was oblivious to like like the kind of upgrades in terms of like blu-ray and hd and stuff and now i'm like super nerdy about it mm. even though my parents can like barely tell the difference between like standard definition and hd mm. um so yeah i sold my dvd collection started collecting blu-rays and yeah blu-ray collection is quite small at the moment so i'm trying to think of like films that i haven't added yet that mm. i want to get uh the shining is in there like i said <laughs> um but i've literally got a whole word document on my computer of all the dvds that i had that i need to like replace yeah. with blu-rays um uh so i god i don't know i think i think i might have to go for the only film in my like top four on letterbox that i haven't currently got on any sort of like physical media mm. and that is ex machina oh uh, okay so just to go through so my top four on letterbox my four favorite films of all time are the shining Mm -hmm. Shaun of the Dead and by extension the whole of the Cornette trilogy yeah. um, uh, Get Out and mm. Ex Machina so I've got The Shining on 4k in this like special edition box set I've got a steelbook of Shaun of the Dead steelbook of Get Out haven't got Ex Machina yet um, I've been tempted to get it a couple of times 
because the Blu-ray is usually pretty cheap in like CEX. But there is a 4K uh, version that they didn't do a 4K release over here, but they did one in like America, and like 4K discs are region free, mm. so I'd be able to import it. I mean, like I say, I don't like have any way of playing 4Ks at the moment anyway. Mm. So if I really wanted to, I could get like the Blu-ray really cheap from CEX and put the disc in like mm. the 4K set. Um, so yeah, I think I'll go with that. Ex Machina, because that is probably one of my favourite films, and it's currently not in my collection. Um, I wa- I, I, I've seen that film, I think, twice, but last year I watched it like for the second time, and mm. I hadn't seen it in ages. And I was like, I have vague mem- memories of this being quite good, but I can't really remember mm. much about it. Let me watch it again. And I was like, shit, this is like the best film ever made. Uh <laughs> And so it's been in my in my top top four since like early last year. Uh yeah. Very good film. Good I think I'd probably put that on on the form of like films I'd want to discuss. Good choice. Have you, have you yeah. seen it? I haven't seen it. I'll be honest. I haven't seen good. it. But as with all of the picks for these uh segments, I'm all, I'm always like, Yeah, I need to watch that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I'm I'm the same. You know, I kind of I act like this like massive film nerd, but mm. I'm I'm such a like fraud. There's like so many I haven't seen <laughs> that would be considered like classics. Um, oh yeah, there's so many classics I still haven't seen yet, which is a probably a crime to announce as hosting a yeah, film yeah. podcast. But you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, but you know, hosting a film podcast g- gives you the excuse to watch them. Exactly. Uh, exactly. If you didn't have enough of one already, um, I mean, like in the last year, in the last year, I've been like. I think I've probably watched more films or I'm on like track this year to watch more films this year than I ever have before. I mean, I really went hard with, with the Oscars this year. Mm, uh, mm. I tried to watch I watched, as many of them as possible, but I, I watched, struggled. Hang on. Let me just look up uh, how many films uh, were nominated for Oscars. Because I was like, because last year I was like, oh, I'll try and watch all the best picture ones. Mm. And I watched all but one. Um, the, yeah, the only one I didn't watch was Ford v Ferrari because I just couldn't be fucked watching <laughs> yeah. Ford v Ferrari. To be honest, that's understandable. Like, that's understandable. Who, did anyone watch Ford v Ferrari? <laughs> like, no, I, um, I certainly haven't. No. <laughs> uh, hang on. Actually, let me look on Letterboxd. Uh, hold on cut all this out if you want yeah no. <laughs> uh, uh, lists so there was 56 films nominated for oh, the yeah. academy awards this year yeah. and that was like including short films as well and i watched 46 jesus Fair so, play, fair play, because I, I think I got about a third through mine. I, got, I did obviously all the best picture ones. I think yeah, I watched all get, the best picture. I think I managed um, to try. I think I missed out on this director because I didn't get time to watch um, another round. But oh, I watched. That was one of the very few that I had to like pirate, which I didn't want to do because I don't yeah, like pirating. Films. No, but like I literally had no other option. Um, uh, but yeah, the ones I didn't watch were. I think it was probably like a few of sorry. Uh it was probably 
a few of the like documentaries. Mm, uh, yeah, I think I, I missed I missed quite a few of the documentaries. I'm not a huge documentary person, but um, yeah, no. Um, generally, though, good choice for both Record Spinner and uh, 64K. Yes. Credit where it's due. Um, so we'll move on to something I think we've both been burning to talk about a little bit when it comes to The Shining, and that is um, oh, yes. the the obvious. The Shining is quite famous for. Um, obviously being a, a solid Kubrick film and uh, a great ad- adaptation but notoriously uh, the book originally written by Stephen King of course Stephen King does not like this film at Stephen all Stephen King mate what are you doing um, and the th- there's an interesting debate about it because obviously there's a lot of stuff changed from the book personally I think for the better I should say at this point I haven't read the book no um, I, I haven't read it all the way through i i've i know the key bits of it and to be honest if this film included um hedge creatures coming alive and like a an, a reanimated fire hose and like i've heard that apparently a man the, and a wolf mask going i'm gonna kill you danny like, you know i've heard apparently the like 90s like tv movie miniseries yep, whatever, that's, yeah. remake is that's, a lot more faithful uh, to the book oh yeah and it's, it's absolutely to shite. its downfall absolute shite yeah. Because it's such a faithful it, adaptation. I think, um, I, I don't really understand why, I, mean, I can understand why King hates this film because obviously, you know, when you're a writer and you, you make something that is it's like loved by a lot of people and then it gets adapt, uh, adapted to the big screen, you want it to be good because there's only so many times you can kind of remake the same thing. Um, but also, like, I feel like as an author or like anyone whose story is being mm. adapted for like a film or any, you know, sort of media... I feel like when you kind of agree to, like, it being adapted, I feel like you're kind of handing it over you are, to the director you and the are. writer. And, and the thing is, a lot of... And obviously, yeah. you know, if it's absolutely, like, terrible and, like, like you know, like, disrespectful to the to the, re- the original, you know, source, then fair enough. Mm. But you've got to, like... You've got to like face up to the fact that like this director or whoever is going to put their own spin on it, yeah, and it might not be what you had in mind. That's um, true. Uh, that is very true. I, I, the only I think, and I would say, the Shining film is better than what Stephen King's story probably would have made, and if it was like faithfully adapt, uh, adapt, yeah, adapted. That's the word. Um, as it was with the miniseries, because that was absolute shit. I think Stephen King's big problems came with, I think, weirdly enough, the casting of Jack Nicholson, notoriously. Um, yeah, I mean... Which I can kind of pres- understand, because he, he come right off the bat of One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, and Jack Nicholson looks insane. He, he looks already I mean, insane, main... so he's not like a normal, everyday guy who descends in the in insanity because he looks like he wants to kill his family from the beginning of the film. So I can yeah. kind of understand that. But I think there's a few things where it just... Sometimes when you adapt uh, a novel like you're gonna change things i think the problem with the shining for stephen king's point of view is probably that a lot of it almost too much of it was changed in the book there's a lot bigger of a focus that the hotel is sentient the hotel is alive Mm -hmm. which is explored a lot more in doctor sleep but which is one of the reasons why i like the shining and don't like doctor sleep and i can totally Um, understand that it's a weird thing because i actually kind of I kind of like a bit of both. The one thing I love about The Shining is that it is its own standalone film and you can sort of enjoy that as is. And as you said earlier with the whole thing of um, not knowing whether it's Jack going insane or whether it's actually spirits and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And I love that. That's such a clever And element. I think in the book, 
it's a lot more heavy. Oh, on, it's so more. Yes, it's, it's so much more obvious. There is no debate this. at all. There's like a yeah. chair that moves and like knocks Wendy over or something. Like it's yeah. there's so much to it. Um, and there's certain moments in this again that are much more iconic than they would have been in the book. I've seen again notoriously. Um, Jack breaking down the door with the axe and saying, "Here's Johnny." Would have instead been with like a a huge hammer and saying, "It's time to take your medicine." I mean, again, like a line that I still don't mind, but would not have worked in the context of the Shining film. And I think a lot I mean, of the decisions like, were made for. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Shining film yeah. is better than anything that Stephen <laughs> King would have come for the for the miniseries. But I can kind of understand where the vision of the hotel and the sentience of that kind of gets lost from the book and. I can kind of understand why that would irk him a little bit. The thing is, like, at the most basic level, mm. a, a film and a book are two completely different yes. forms of storytelling. Oh, yeah. And so there's inevitably going to be things that you have to change when you're translating one from the other. You know, it's like it's like languages. Like, if you put something in Google Translate and, like, translate it to mm. one thing and then translate it back again, it's going to be all, like, messed up and not exactly right mm. because you haven't, you know, followed the rules of whatever or of that language. You know, it's the yeah. same with adapting a book into a film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I There's think... things that work on the page that don't work on screen. 100%. And vice versa. And what I will say is um, Stephen King is a fantastic novel author he's, he's, he's incredible yeah but what he isn't is a screenwriter and he's not a filmmaker yeah. and no that is evident again with the the 90s miniseries of the shining which i've only seen did he bits did of. he write the screenplay for the miniseries? i believe he did yeah on his own um oh you're testing my knowledge here i'll have to double check that um, i do i do want to watch it at some point just for the for a laugh but there's um, little things which again are more accurate to the book that just don't work in, in in a visual medium. And The Shining is a really old book as well, let's point out. like, I mean, it's not like super old, but it's old enough where some of the ideas in it would have probably been really scary at the time, but too cheesy by the time the film comes around. I mean, stuff like well, yeah, I mean, Tony like... being in, like a, a thing in, in Danny's mouth, just like with his finger, opposed to it being like yeah. a, a floating ghost in, like, in the sky that Danny sees or something. Oh, like, really? Yeah, like there's certain things which just also, don't I heard, work apparently, like, at all. Apparently... When Danny Lloyd auditioned for the role, he like I can't remember whether it was like he improvised doing like the like finger as Tony or he improvised the voice, but he mm. improvised one of them, and they were like, "Oh, that's really good!" Like, yeah, yeah, and they went with that for the final film. Yeah. Um. Also, uh, sorry, I feel like we oh. kind of missed mentioning when we were talking about the performances. Danny Lloyd's fucking oh, great. He's great in, in this. Yeah. Like you know, and not just for a child actor mm. like he's gr he's and especially considering he did not know he was making a horror film at the time yeah. and did not see the finish the full film mm. until like years later mm. when he was old enough um the fact that he was kind of able to kind of have enough of an understanding of what was going on mm. and you know give a performance like that is just mad no, absolutely um, yeah i think there's 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 an interesting thing again with, um, yeah. I just checked there. It was entirely written by Stephen King the miniseries, yes. which makes sense because again, Stephen King is not a screenwriter. He's not a filmmaker, and that is very evident in how the Shining miniseries plays out because it doesn't. It just isn't as good. There's a lot of elements. There's elements which I like, 
and also don't like again like the shining as itself by a film uh, by itself as a film sorry is so good and you I, I would not change any of it but that's where like and i know we differ on dr sleep but as a fan of king's storytelling i uh, i really like how um that's sort of utilized i love how mike flanagan has taken the film of the shining and the people who love that and the, fa- the fans of the shining the book and basically brought mm-hmm. together like a sequel which works for both mm-hmm. adapting the doctor sleep sequel quite uh, the doctor sleep book really well but also creating a really solid sequel to the shining i know we've differ on this but i think something yes. i really love about i mean yeah it does take away a lot of the mystery from the shining that's the one thing i don't like about it and also i do need to give doctor sleep a rewatch because it's been yeah, no, I, don't, I've seen I should say, I mean, I, I, I kind of joke about how I don't like it, and I, I think mm. it, I was very disappointed in it, but for one, I don't think much of that is to do with how the the story was adapted for the screen. I think it's probably more to do with the fact that the story itself is just not for me mm. because it's too Stephen King. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, I think, it's very different. To I think more of well. what I like about The Shining is to do with Stanley Kubrick mm. and not Stephen King. Yeah. And whereas the the film of Doctor Sleep, I think, is very Stephen King. I and mean, for me, that's coming yeah. from uh, for me, I, I hasn't read the book. I do love um, Kubrick, but for, again, I think for me, what I get more out of The Shining is the storytelling. Even though it's a lot, a lot of that to be fair is Kubrick, um, who's mm-hmm. adapted it and and took out some of the dodgy things. But I think. There was something about Doctor Sleep again as a fan of like some of the original source material to like even just like tiny things. I, I kind of liked the way because I don't know if you knew. Do you know much about the books in terms of how they sort of went out? Because the Shining, like the I, original ending of The Shining in the book is so different to The Shining of the film. Because isn't the. Is the original ending of The Shining in the book what happens at the end of Doctor Sleep yeah. in the movie? Yeah. Yeah, and in Doctor okay. Sleep the book, it's just where the Overlook was. It's just like a burnt down wreckage that they oh, have so the, oh, right, okay. It's only so in the yeah, film I can kind use... of see like oh, yeah. they wanted the the set piece of like recreating the 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 hotel, mm. you know, to look cool in the trailer, you know. Yeah. I, that's a very sort of Hollywood yeah. film yeah. thing to and, uh, do. Yeah. You can see why they were would have wanted idea. to change. I that. just I think as well. I th- I don't know what it. I don't know. I, I really, again, I, I wouldn't change anything on this channel. This is not a criticism of that. But there's something about Doctor Sleep which just, I don't know whether it's appealing to my nostalgia of The Shining, but also mm. just, I just enjoy a lot of what it does. I'm a big fan of Mike Flanagan's um, directing as well, especially when it comes to King stories. I don't know if you've seen I Gerald's Game. I don't know if you've seen other stuff. Uh, Gerald's Game um, is another Mike one. Flanagan. I think Gerald Game, uh, Gerald's Game, I would say, is one of um, the best Stephen King adapted films ever it's yeah probably up there i don't think the i realized in terms of like, well horror. no i definitely didn't realize at the time but i didn't realize until recently that the shine that dr sleep wasn't the first stephen king story that he'd adapted because mm. um, mm. like i think when i when i saw dr sleep the only thing i knew that mike flanagan had done was uh the haunting of hill house yes which i hadn't watched mm. but i just knew of it because i think it came out like the same year um but yeah, I think, but I, I do. I do want to rewatch Doctor yeah. Sleep, especially because there's, there's, might... there's a there's a director's cut, um, which is like a fair bit longer. I, um, I yeah, I really want to see that as well because I've seen little um, clips of it and it's like they've 
he's done it basically as an entire adaptation of the book where it's got like individual chapters on screen and stuff. Oh, really? I really like that. Um, um but yeah, no. yeah, part of the reason I kind of don't want to completely write it off just yet yeah. is because my actual experience of seeing it in the cinema was god awful. Mm. Um, because we saw it like quite like a few weeks after um it came out and mm. me and my mum and dad went to see it um and it was like the last screening of the day mm. it was in like probably the smallest screen in the mm. cinema and basically the film started and it didn't like the picture didn't fill the whole screen oh. and i and i thought oh maybe cuz you know it starts like like yeah, not yeah. flashback but it starts like just after the events of the shining yeah. and i thought oh maybe it's like an aspect ratio thing maybe like when it gets to present day it's gonna like fill up the whole screen or whatever mm. so i like didn't say anything and then it just stayed like that and by that point oh. it was too late to like go and say anything um yeah. so it was just like it was really like ship and also like just the quality of the picture as well just didn't seem very good jesus um there was clearly no one in the projector booth or whatever yeah like me and my my mum you know didn't notice something but me and my dad were looking at each other like this doesn't yeah. look right uh <laughs> uh and we were like complaining about it all the way home and my mum was like what i thought it was fine uh, yeah. no uh, that's unfortunate we had people in our screening who were just like making a lot of noise and had like a flashing light on recording some of it i'll oh, see like, i think I we were that. like pretty much the only people in our screen yeah but that kind of was to our downfall because like no one was re really paying attention to yeah. that screen because it was like the last one of the day and like barely anyone was in there that's a shame so, though. that is a shame Especially so yeah that's part of the reason i want to see it again yeah um because like i do a pre like the f the the way they were able to like recreate the set of the overlook is like pretty incredible mm. and um, i love i love the scenes of um i loved the the inclusion of um jack torrance as lloyd the bartender as well I thought that was yeah. Such although a... I didn't, I wasn't keen on the the like actors that they chose to like. No, I. I mean, I'd agree. I mean, no one would ever be perfect, but I did not think. I just they looked very I just, good. I just think. Well, I thought I thought the one who played Wendy and and Danny as a kid was all right. I think my my issue came more with um, Jack Torrance. But you're never going to get a Jack Nicholson look like. I just... See, I thought Wendy was the worst one. Really, I, I think Danny was like. I mean, I thought probably it... the least. No, probably just because it's like a little kid mm. um and so you know it's yeah. probably quite easy to find someone that looks I think, fairly similar i just think but with, like with jack, where, yeah. like shelly duvall yeah has got such a recognizable mm. kind of mm. unique face like her eyes are just like incredible but i'd say that about and jack so, nicholson as well i think he's got a very like yeah. noticeable and i think the one thing with that bar scene i was like i wish they just i just really hope they don't show his face because this is a great scene yeah but then it did and i was like i can't ah. remember what his voice was like I don't know whether they like wasn't exactly the same but he but in fairness he was also playing lloyd the bartender so it was slightly True. different yeah, anyway yeah, yeah. which i think was a good way of getting around that and i don't know if that's in the book either so that's like a, a cool little thing see they do seem like scenes that they'd put in just for like yeah uh, just to look cool in the trailer but there's um, yeah but there's certain things about that that i was just like this is just yeah as as Maybe, it's maybe, very fan service. -y. Maybe it's because I've just I've I've spent so many years looking up like all the stuff about the books and like, oh what what interesting yeah. stuff do they cut out and I'm like oh I get that reference I know that I know yeah, I know yeah. what they're talking about here that's cool um, yeah yeah but yeah no um, moving on from Doctor Sleep though we'll talk more about The Shining um, because there's a, a little thing that hasn't already been mentioned which is about the theories in this film as well which we'll sort of finish yes. off on um, 
there's a lot of different ones and i'd love to know your thoughts on them so there's a first one which is sort of thrown around which is about the sort of indian burial ground uh, and the native yeah. americans and that sort of thing and there's a lot of things thrown about about that what do you think about that because i mean there's it's it's a it's a weird one because this film was notoriously got so many theories and i know we've both watched yeah, Boom yeah. two three seven the documentary um as well which which i feel like we should say i mean i don't i'm not sure what exactly your thoughts are but i don't think it was a great documentary i think i think like um, considering yeah. the shining is my favorite film and i'm i love like watching mm. like youtube video essays and stuff on like yeah. theories and stuff I was. I don't think it was as good as it could have been. I think, I think yeah, I, I, the way it was made yeah. was not great. I think for me, um, it, it's it's. I, th- I, can't, I think it was like Chris Stuckman who said this in his review, but it's like if you look at it as a documentary about theories on The Shining, it's shit. But if you look at it as a documentary about fan like obsession, yeah. with looking for every minor detail about a film, yeah, yeah, then yeah. it's a good documentary. And I'd agree yeah, with that. No, I can. I'd um, agree with that. It's a weird one, but the, yeah, the, the general. There's a lot of theories about this. A lot of I've been picked up by a lot of different people. Um, there's the stuff about the Native Americans. There's of course the famous one about the NASA, the moon landing, like Stanley Kubrick's yes. thing with that, which I think is brilliant. There's the sexual connotations of like phallic shaped objects and stuff in the film. Yeah, um, <laughs> the fucking uh, theory in in Room Two Three Seven when uh, the guy is like, oh, um, oh, they're like they're very hard to notice, but I'll. I'll tell you this one when mm. when uh, when Jack's meeting uh, the manager for the first time as they go to shake hands, it looks like he's got a dick, like mm. um, the because of the way the like paper on the desk is like facing. Yeah, like it's just really? like a school child like, thing. Some of them, honestly, so m- yeah. There's so many theories on the on the Shining, and you decide to like spend like a, f- a chunk of your runtime like on that, like yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's mad. I don't. I think one of my. Fa- but I just thought, yeah. like with 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 that documentary, like there were some like quite interesting theories in there. But it felt like just as they were like starting to get interesting, they they'd move on to another one. Mm. Like they just kind of they seem to like gloss over lots of theories rather than like go in depth about any of them. Yeah. Um, no, I I think and that was kind of yeah that was my issue with it as well. It was a bit of a weird one, a bit of a boring watch as well. It wasn't really that compelling. Um, Which is, like, surprising, considering how much we both love The Shining. And there's so many things that people want to infer from the film, but, like, yeah. it's a bit difficult when it's... It's a bit difficult, again, when it's, like, it comes from, like, an adap- adapted from a book, which has loads more information in it. It's, like... So, I'm not trying to say that, again, anything's redundant, but because, obviously, it's, like, a totally different thing in itself, um, and there's a lot of different things to look into it. But it always, like, it's, like, oh, this could be happening, or, or this could be happening. It's, like... But there's a, there's a book which explains this, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's a bit of a weird one. The one thing I love uh, about this film, the one thing that's been theorized about and never really answered or explained or understood, um, is I'll tell you what I've got a bit of visual for this. Hang on. Oh, come. This is uh, my favorite thing. Oh yes. For those who I, can't see I the was footage. worried you were going to say the uh, the bear costume <laughs> shot, and yeah. I was just going to have nothing to say. Like, um, yeah for those who obviously can't see because you're listening on a uh, on spotify or whatever um the final photo of the film the overlook hotel the july 4th ball yes. 1921 with jack torrance which as we're recording this which as we're recording this was the 100th anniversary yes the other day yes which was so cool yeah really um, really cool because it was fun like i watched the shining rewatched it i, I actually rewatched it at college 
like literally the day before you messaged me being like mm. oh you want to come on the podcast um so i'd like just rewatched it like mm. at, coincidentally so i kind of didn't need to rewatch it again for the mm. podcast because i'd literally seen it a few days before and then i realized it was the anniversary of the fourth of july ball at the overlook mm, hotel mm. and i was like oh i wish i'd waited and rewatched it today yeah yeah because um, that would have been so cool um but then i watched room t37 that day anyway so i mm. kind of celebrated in that sense uh but yeah but um, yeah so yeah that that, that final, that final frame shot. i i i think it's a, it's a beautiful way to end the film i really love how the film kind of wraps itself up it kind of mostly makes sense i mean there's lots of things you can infer from it and like work out but like you know, Jack Torrance, he went insane, all that sort of thing. The Overlook yeah. is kind of potentially sentient and encouraged him to do it and all that sort of thing for the souls or something like that. And I, I, I love that element of it. The film wraps up really nicely and then they have one more shot, one final yeah. shot, which just confuses everything by putting Jack Torrance in this, like, 50-plus-year-old photo of the ball mm -hmm. and, again, plays into these things of... You know, Grady saying like you've always been here and all that sort of thing. I just I, it's it's one thing where it's like any other filmmaker probably would have just finished it before that that shot. Mm -hmm. And Kubrick had to throw this last little spanner in the works. And I think it just such a simple shot, such an easy thing to do, but makes so much of a difference. So is that not in the book at all? The I photo. I don't, think, the I, I don't of... think so. But then again, in the book, there's a lot, as you know, as you've seen Doctor Sleep, the book plays in a lot more with, um, like, becoming one with the hotel and being possessed by the hotel and all that sort of thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in Doctor Sleep, when um, Danny gets possessed and his eyes get sort of glazed over and he sort of runs a bit mm -hmm. like Jack with the axe. And that sort of happens to Jack in The Shining Book. And it's sort of more implied that he's possessed by the hotel rather than he's gone insane. Um, yeah which is not something that works as well for me. I prefer the idea that he goes insane, slightly encouraged yeah. by things that he's seeing, yeah, whether yeah, yeah. they may be happening or not. Um, yeah. But the idea that yeah, Kubrick's... It's, it's, it's yeah, that it, his insanity, but it's kind of emphasised and, like, the process of him losing his mind is kind of sped up by the Overlook. So mm. I think, you know, both can kind of coexist. Yeah. Um, which I think kind of i guess is what that final shot implies because i feel like although i've said that one of the reasons i like the shining is because it's quite quite balanced in like leading you to think that it's just his insanity or leading you to think that it's all the supernatural i think up until the very last shot you're probably ever so slightly more on the side of oh it's just him going insane yeah but then that final shot just I, like I just, I love it. gives you that slight doubt again. Yeah, it's like, like okay, so he, you know, like has he always been here? Is he is he part of the hotel when he sort of gave into that that desire to 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 kill to that that sort of? I think it's more just the sense of like it was inevitable, like it was yeah. always going to end this way. Yeah, like, and you know, no matter, no, I think almost it wasn't even a personal thing like it was just no matter who took the job there it would have happened to them as well mm. so it's just like you know i think anyone could have been the caretaker yeah I, I i like i like the idea that it's implying that like for for me the way i, I mean because it's very there's no concrete answer to this and there's so many different oh, and no. there's no there's no theory about this that even makes sense 
I think when I look at it, I like to think that where the Jack Torrance that we're seeing doesn't even look like Jack Torrance and that this is just an embodiment of the same thing that's happened over and over again over the overlook over the years. Like Jack Torrance, Delbert Grady, etc. Like mm-hmm. this has happened before, this happened again. He's always belonged to this hotel. And even stuff like at the beginning where he's like, I just sort of felt drawn to it. Like he just mm. you know, it was just like it's almost like he came through and he felt like he was at home. Just, it, there's so many things that like question around it, but I, I just love the idea that, um, yeah, I, I, there's so many things that I love about that. But it, the, again, yeah. just the fact that it complicates things, the fact that it makes it even weirder by the end of the film is just, oh, it's brilliant. Because it's, it's, I think, you know, it's like one of the things I think is always great about a film is like when it leaves you with something that you're instantly going to walk out of the cinema asking questions about mm. like um and you know that final shot is just like the pinnacle of that kind of thing uh mm. so yeah it's it's i think it's it is just that kind of like you think you've kind of got the the whole thing sussed and then it just throws that little mm. spanner in the works that bit of doubt yeah. in your mind that like oh you have no idea what's going on like this this everything that's just happened is way more kind of like powerful than you could ever mm. understand yeah um so yeah but yeah i and i, 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 think, I think, yeah it's 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 one of my favorite parts of the film and i think it it adds so much but so simply and it's a, again a testament to filmmaking generally where you can just convey so much to the audience with just one like dolly of like just going towards a photo on a wall yeah and that's it and I absolutely adore that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think kind of I I think that's really all I'm really wanting to say about The Shining. Is there anything else that you yeah, want to sort I of mean, mention? Because I feel like we've kind of covered quite I a feel lot. Like, well, I feel like I'm going to come off, off this like we're going to stop recording and I'm going to think of like so many more yeah, things yeah, yeah. I should have talked about. Like it's just like, you know, there's so many just tiny little things throughout the film that kind of like foreshadow mm. things to come that you you barely notice like mm. looking back but when you've know when you've watched it as many times as us mm. like as they happen yeah. you're like oh I, I yeah i saw that or heard that yeah like but you know it's just it's just such a sort of visceral like viewing experience yeah um it's a stunning film and it, it it's yes. always one that not only is one of my favorites but it's always the one that I would recommend first to anyone who's never seen it. It'd just be like, you've got to yeah, watch this. Yeah, and I don't think it's... Because even to like people that really love films, I think like old films and like classic films can be quite intimidating mm. because like you're... Ex- especially like if you're like a film student or something, you're expected to like them but, yeah, or uh, else you're wrong or yeah, you didn't understand exactly. it. And I think The Shining's quite a good like... Like entry point in because the you know the surface level plot is pretty basic uh and then if you want to f- mm. go deeper into it you can yeah but if you don't it still works as a as a like good story told very well yeah there's so many films again like and i'd say like again the lighthouse kind of topped my list of favorite films like last year and but i would never recommend the lighthouse to someone who isn't like See, looking I, into I, like really look because it's just it's something been on that... my watch list like since since it came out but i have been like slightly intimidated to watch it because it's it's not because it's like mm. i've heard it's very like 
old English language, like oh, it's quite it's, hard. It's hard to like understand. It's an incredible film, dialogue. but I I would not recommend it for like a general audience. Whereas The Shining, I'm like, I feel like anyone can watch this and get enjoyment out of it. Whereas The Lighthouse, is like. I don't feel that everyone would like this anywhere near it. Like some people would absolutely hate this, yeah, yeah, yeah. but some people would absolutely love it. Um, but The Shining is one of those ones that works for pretty much anyone. I'd say it's a it's a fantastic yeah. film. It's a great horror film. It's a great thriller. It's a great use of you know adapting a book. It's Stephen King. It, there's so many elements. Stanley Kubrick. There's so many elements to this that just make it such an iconic, brilliant film in history and uh yes yeah i think that's where we're going to end it do you have I think that's a good note to end on do you have anything you'd like to sort of promote obviously you mentioned your letterbox all that sort of thing oh yeah you well now, you know so if you've if you've enjoyed any of my opinions in this then you can see more of my kind of film taste and opinions on film if you really want to on letterbox my username is literally just calry c-a-l-r-e-a-d um so yeah, follow me on there if you want. Follow me on Twitter, uh, Callum Reed underscore. And as for like projects or anything, I have a documentary that should be coming out soon um, uh, that I've made uh, as part of my college course. But we should be like releasing it like publicly soon. And it's about the impact of the pandemic on cinemas. Um, so yeah, if you're interested yeah. in that, uh, you'll probably see updates if you follow me on twitter um but yeah apart from that that's that's about it from me brilliant stuff and you can find all those links um in the description of this um podcast episode as well as of course our twitter at spill your beans um again you can follow us on all different podcast mediums listen to all of us on there and of course we've got plenty of episodes that are already on there covering various different film franchises and all that sort of thing as well and yeah thanks so much for listening this will be the last weekly episode of Spill Your Beans for a little while before we start work on Series 2. Thank you all so much for the support we've had over this series, and hopefully we'll see you again very, very soon. We've got a little exciting project, which includes a little bit of a film commentary coming out um, at the end of August slash September, whenever it gets finished. For the latest updates, obviously, stay on Twitter, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, thank you for watching again, and um, see you later. Bye. Bye.